Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. morning feels like a Monday and I can't tell you how geeked up I am right now so I've been thinking about moving my studio into my garage right I have a video studio in my garage where I'm doing more and more work and the audio studio in the house and so the more work I do on the video side I'm like why don't I just like you know make it one studio it seemed to simplify things, yes? Well, I mean, that's what I thought. So I'm laying in bed this morning, get a call from one of my friends. Actually, Napa Man calls me. I haven't heard from Napa Man in a while, so send him a text. And being the good dude he is, he checks in. Um, so I'm laying in bed. I don't know what time it is for me. Five fifty, and I start thinking. You know, it makes a whole lot of sense for me to do that. You know, first of all, I, I spent ninety dollars on a some cable last week, so I could run the audio that I'm. Uh, so I could run the audio that I'm using for making videos back to my desktop computer, where where it would have more computer juice, right? So I'm doing that. I'm doing all this stuff. And um, so I'm laying in bed this morning. And I think, you know what? 
I should do that. Let's do it right now. Why not? I've got 90 minutes. What could go wrong? And you want to know what went wrong? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. How about that? How about that for a little dose of insanity on a, what day of the week it is, on a Tuesday morning? Yeah. A little dose of insanity. Nothing went wrong. It all went right. Okay, now, you might th- you might be thinking this. Mac, you should not tempt the gods who govern such things because they will smite you down. And you know what? You might be right about that. But how often, I mean, let me tell you, if you could see the number, the amount of wiring and zip ties that are involved in this event, you would go, dude, that's like a seven-hour project. Why would you try to do it in 90 minutes? Okay? Because great people, because great people or stupid people attempt great things in life. So I did. So I get out of bed. I hop in the shower. Boom. I come move. I go in my office and I start moving shit. I crawl under. I start cutting zip ties. I'm like, yeah, I can do this. I've got to, I've got to dismount the monitors from the wall because that's where I had them. Yeah. Yeah. That's the kind of operation this was. And so I move the monitors out. I then take the desktop, disconnect it from all the audio shit, right? <laughs> Wires and zip ties. There's five wor- years worth of zip ties under that thing. I'm cutting zip ties like a maniac. <laughs> By the way, Grant Newsom's going to join us here in a few minutes. Um, at in, a, in about nine minutes. So I'm cutting zip ties at the zi- zi- cyclic rate. <laughs> okay, I need that. I don't need that. I need this. I don't need this. All right, let's do this shit. So I drag the, the, the desktop out here, the monitors out here. Now I bring the power sources, the HDMI cables to wire everything together, blah, 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 blah. And bigger than hell, yeah, you guessed it, it all works. So then I plug it in. Now, I don't know why, but I have this little uh, issue with my... Um, I have an issue with my, what is it? Oh, my Bluetooth on the, comu- the the desktop computer I built. Whenever I start it up, I don't know why the driver doesn't work. And I don't know how to unscrew it. But anyway, um, so I have to allow the computer to start and boot, plug in a wired, USB wired uh, keyboard and mouse, and then... I go into settings, I delete the Bluetooth that's on there, and I allow the computer to reinstall the new Bluetooth, and it does. And then my mouse fires up, my keyboard fires up, because they're both Bluetooth, right? So anyway, um, I start the computer, that's all going. Now my big concern, honestly, is the audio. Is this going to work? Because the audio tends to be the fly in the ointment. But I'm thinking, look, all I'm doing is... I'm I. I'm reconnecting things. I took pictures of what I disconnected, so I knew how to reconnect it. I'm like, oh, this is like not going to be that you know crazy. Those are famous last words, right? Kind of like my daughter, Colleen, who had two parties in the last month while I was gone. The cop showed up at the second one, looking at me when I found out about it. And before I sentenced her to solitary confinement for a while without any electronic devices and said, I only invited a few people, right? Famous last words of a teenager. I only invited a few people. 
like, how was, how was, how was I supposed to know? Like all these people would show up. It's the laws of parting there, stupid one. So anyway, um, I fire everything up, right? The USB keyboard, everything's going good. I make sure the monitors are plugged into the right HDMI cable so everything I'm looking at is in the right spots because I'm a bit of a habitual person like that. And they weren't. Reconfigure the cables. Now it's good, right? And the only thing that's not working is the, the mouse and the keyboard. Crawl under, make sure everything's wired together. Not really sure what happened. Think, okay. And let me tell you, by now, everything's hooked up again. It's 7.58. Yeah. What is that, like 13 minutes ago or some shit? It's 7, not even that. It's 9, it's 11 minutes ago. And I look at the clock. I'm like, I'm going to pull this shit off. And then all of a sudden I see my keyboard start to work, my Bluetooth keyboard. I'm like, oh. So I reinst- I just I just delete the, the mouse, reinstall that. And as I hit the button to play, everything worked. That's right, sports fans. Everything fucking worked. Speaking of sports, the Yankees suck. I don't even hardly, I don't, I, I watched them over the weekend because I was babysitting neurotic dogs. Yeah, my dogs, man. Although I will tell you this, Benadryl works. So uh, on a morning, I'm fired up already. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to get to do, uh, I, let me just tell you, I, I, I may or may not have a chance to get to this today, but um, I've been, all kinds of people are referring people, the beauty of post-traumatic winning to other people. Post-traumatic Post-traumatic winning is now in Australia. Kaboosh. International in a big way. So, good morning to you. The United States Marine Corps Band makes this morning official. Grant Newsham will join us in a few minutes. <laughs> good morning. I just thought about this. I hope I hope Skype works <laughs> when I fire it up. We'll see. This is dedicated uh, to maybe a half dozen people I spoke to over the weekend. All very interested in post-traumatic winning. Is it too late, Matt? Can we join? Fuck no, it's not too late. Of course you can join. So 
This is de- dedicated to them and the people that have gone through the program that keep helping people. Like I said, I mean, it is cool on top of cool on top of cool on top of cool. Boom. <laughs> betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well i'm very confident that thank you very much if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech but I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds and win. You gotta win. Yeah, we do. That's important stuff. My computer's faster. Why? I don't understand. I don't understand that. Why is my computer faster? I don't know. All right. Currently, it is. What is it? Oh, in Quantico, it's sunny in 85. Down the coast of Camp Lejeune, it is sunny in 84. 29 Palms, sunny in 89. Camp Pendleton, partly sunny in 64. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark cloudy 72. Okinawa, dark cloudy 82. Manila in the Philippines, dark cloudy 79. And Darwin, clear dark in 70. Coldest temperature I've ever seen in Darwin. Yeah, Post-traumatic winning in Perth, don't you know? Yeah, that would be down under. Tell you non-traveling types. Who thinks United, who, who think the United States is the worst country in the world? Are you fucking kidding me? You fucking idiots need to go around the world. All right? Do some traveling. All right? Get out there. 
and then come back and tell me what you think. What the fuck, man? It's honestly, it's un- the stupidity, right, and the lack of the ability to, to do critical thinking in this country is absolutely stunning, right? Absolutely stunning. You watch p- the stupid shit people say, and it's like a nation is support- supposed to be born fully evolved, I guess, right? Is that what you're suggesting? Right. Do you know that only one country on the planet fought a war over slavery? United States. Oh, fuck. Anyway, uh, Costa Mesa. 65 and cloudy. Looking for a high of 75 degrees. That is a look at your weather. So, big moment here on the program. Does this shit, does, will this shit work? That's right. Here's an email. Uh-oh. That's it. Yeah! <laughs> Grant Newsham's supposed to be picking up across the planet. Yeah, hello, Grant speaking. And across the dateline, joining us from Taipei, that would be someplace in the Western Pacific. Grant Newsham, Grant, welcome to the program. Reporting, <laughs> reporting from well, Taiwan, Grant Newsham. That's a little well, bit of good morning. That's a little bit of World War II National mm-hmm. Broadcasting Corporation type of uh, radio. I just moved my entire studio in the last ninety minutes. Had no idea whether it all worked. It did. Everything worked, Grant. Everything worked. Huh? Well, yes. I didn't do it. Obviously, I know because great men attempt great things, right? Somebody just mm-hmm. te- a friend just texted me. Ormac, foolish men attempt foolish things. I guess, yeah. That's what they said to Einstein, too. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. How are you, Grant? Oh, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, How, not bad. How's everything uh, in the Western Pacific these days? Oh, it just gets better and better every day. Did you yeah. celebrate the 4th of July? Oh, a little, you know, I I recognized it. But, oh, you uh, did, but it wasn't. You know, I did, couldn't get my hands on, like, uh, you know, sparklers and... Uh, you know, really? Come on. They have like you quarter sticks of dynamite where you live. <laughs> they, no, don't... they do. But you no, know, fireworks are the big thing. I think they invented them out here. Yeah, but, I think uh, they did too. So, yeah. yeah it, black it, cat you know, fireworks, they would laugh and they were like, what is that? Yeah, yeah. It's not like you go down to, you know, south of the border in Dillon, South Carolina and pick up a box of fireworks here. But uh, I think you could if you knew what you were doing. Really? But I haven't mastered that yet. All right, all right. Well, you know, it's a bit stunning to Americans that the world doesn't celebrate the 4th of July. What do you mean everybody didn't have a day off yesterday? Yeah, that, oh, in yeah. case you don't know, yeah, it doesn't work like that. But it is rather stunning to many of us. Um, did you see the video of the bomb squad, the truck from the LAPD, blow up and blow about four cars in the front yards? When they, when they found a bunch of illegal fireworks, and and no, evidently nobody told the bomb squad guys, hey, we should probably just cordon this thing off. We're going to need multiple trucks, multiple container trucks to move this shit. I think they all threw it in one container and they detonated the container somehow. It's a mystery. But yeah. no, I didn't see the video. oh, you I should photograph of it. It looked pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it's better. It's better in full motion video. Yeah. Uh, oh, so this is let's say like West Virginia on the it, exactly. summer weekend. It is yeah. Andy and Barney, right, roll up on some fireworks and throw it in the back of the truck, and the truck happens to explode with with all uh, excitement there and do pertaining. Um, let's see. 
what else I want to ask you? Uh, baseball. The Yankees are horrible. I don't. I. I don't even watch them anymore. Right. Two of the worst teams in baseball last year, and not two of the best: the Red Sox and the Giants of all teams. Um. So, and I've even looked. You know, at uh, the, your Washington team, are they doing any good? Um, no, that Los Angeles team, I think, swept them this weekend or over the last few days. The Dodgers or the Angels? The Dodgers. I think they were in Washington, and, and I think Dodgers had won nine straight, and they'd been playing the, the, the Nationals, so I'm pretty sure it was a sweep. Well, the, so um, the Nationals are uh, is, at least a year out, I should think. Yeah. Is Taiwan excited about Shohei Otani? Or would that um, be only Japan? Really, Japan, I think. But they, it's a, yeah, that's a big deal. I've, I think, yeah. like they say, there's nothing like that since Babe Ruth. You know what? And I mean, people tend to say stuff like that, but it's never really true. Now, this guy might be better. Well, Babe Ruth did it for a long time, but the stuff this guy does is absolutely positively phenomenal. If you haven't seen how far he hits the ball, he he hits it as far as anybody. He's faster. I mean, he's he has speed like Mike Trout has, which you wouldn't think he would because he's such a big guy. He'll hit a ground ball, and all of a sudden he beats it to first base, and you're like, what just happened? Like, that's not supposed to happen. I mean, and then, then he'll go out in the mound, and he'll... <laughs> And and he'll do pretty well on the pitcher's mound too. So you're right. It is it is Ruthian. Yeah, well, it's really nothing you've ever seen before. Or at least, well, maybe you have. Not, but I've no. never even, I've not even heard of it. Or, uh, I guess there's guys you can like for fun during you know like during practice sort of throw a few pitches. But you know he's actually good at both of these things. So yeah, hmm, wonder where he came from, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he didn't sign. He wouldn't sign with the Yankees. Like, and he's toiling in obscurity for the Ana, the Ana, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Like, what's that about? But you know what he'll probably do is I thought Manny Machado was the stupidest baseball player in the history of the game for signing with the Padres. I'm like, he's going to empty the bank. They won't be able to afford anybody else. And I don't know how the Padres are doing it. I don't know if they're just printing money. But, you know, they have arguably the most exciting player in baseball, which is Fernando Tatis. And they're spending money like it's – and there's nobody in the stadium. Like, I don't know how this – Oh, works. really? Oh. Yeah, I mean, we can't – until recently we couldn't go, right? Yeah. Hmm. So. Oh, I didn't think of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, if you were more of a thinker, you'd think of stuff like that. What um, – no, I didn't at all. So what is a major sport of Taiwan? Oh, Baseball. You know they've got a few guys who've done well in the pros over the years. There's a you know a handful of them uh, playing in the majors, or not a handful, but there's some. Um, I don't know who they are, but I know it's that's the the big thing. Really? Huh? Yeah. No, you know I knew I knew it was popular, but I didn't know it was the sport of the nation. That's interesting. Oh, it's oh, it's popular. You know, I think that I'd probably get some argument from somebody. But what would I they say baseball, if you got an argument? What would what would it be? Oh, it'd be one of these losers that like soccer. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> and they are. <laughs> yeah. And Good just for the losers, record, but... they are losers. Okay. 
All right. While the rest of us were tormenting each other playing team sports, they were playing soccer. Because their moms wanted them to because it was safer. Mm -hmm. um, All right. So no big. So you didn't have a three-day weekend. That's too bad. Um, Let me see what else that's going on in the United States. What's the weather like this time of year? In Taipei. Oh, it's just oh, it's just hot as hell. Is it? You know, give me uh, yeah, you, give me a give me an example. How hot is hot? I think I noticed the other just the other day. It was you know it was like ten eight ten p.m. So at nighttime, it was like you know eighty nine degrees. And the the weather like that calculator that they do on the weather right, right, channel, right. they said it was like the equivalent of one hundred and eight. You know, it's pitch blackout, and it seems like 108. And it's a wet 108, which is not <laughs> exceeding, which is not no, exceedingly be, comfortable. No, this would be like 216 if it was like <laughs> desert hot springs. I think. The um, that was one of the consolations in Iraq and Afghanistan in Helmand, right? It's 128. Yeah, but it's a dry 128. Mm. <laughs> At some point, I'm not sure. Well, no, you know what? I take it back. It always matters. Uh, Guys went down to Kuwait, and uh, a friend of mine, Kurt Greiner, comes back. He was doing RSOI, which is, you know, guys come into the country. We send guys down to Kuwait. They're doing their final training. Hey, here's the latest TTPs relative to IDs. This is what's going on in UAO, blah, 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 blah. Latest intel. So we send those guys down there. He comes back, and I see... You know, his uh, the fabric part, not the leather part of the lower, but the fabric part of the upper part of his boot is, like, white. And I said, alkali in the sand down there? What's that? And he looks at me and goes, salt. Dude, Kuwait is hell incarnate. I said, what? He said, yeah, it's hotter. So it's, like, probably 8 degrees hotter. So, say, 125, 128 here. It's 133 there. And it's as humid as it could possibly be right next to the goal. I'm like, oh. Nice. Yeah. Exactly. He said, yeah, it's literally the worst place I've ever been in my life. So, Kuwait. Yeah, don't, you don't, there's not a big, um, like if you go to a travel agent and say, I'd like to summer in Kuwait, you get a great deal <laughs> on that shit. Yeah. You and your Bedouin, you know, dream, you can, you, yes, you can get a uh, a deal on that. The, um... I got some more current events question for you. Um, do you have a favorite author, uh, nonfiction type? Nonfiction? Yeah. Um, huh. Uh, Patrick Lee Fermer. Who? Uh, the, the last name's Lee, L-E-I-G-H dash F-E-R-M-O-R. F-E-R, and he writes on? Travel. Well, he's not alive anymore, but um, just but uh, he's it. Uh, he, he's the guy that uh, with some other guys kidnapped that German general in Crete in World War II. That seems like they almost did it for fun. Um, not quite, but he's uh, if you if you see his background, you'll see why I like him. But uh, he's a travel sort of travel history, what have you. Um, sort of a character that doesn't exist much anymore. I like him. Um, you know, I'm sure as like as soon as this, you know, as our show's over today, I'll think of three <laughs> other guys. But but he's uh, yeah, if he's the one that comes to mind uh, for some reason. Um, 
if you were to tell people um, a nonfiction book that you've read in the last six months that they should read, what oh, would boy. it be? Hmm. Oh, goodness. Uh, yeah, we're playing Stump the Chump today. Yeah, but I don't, I read articles. I, I don't read so many books. Um, All right, so have you. All right, well, this will get us into current events, but I'm still looking for the Hoover Institute um, paper that this high-level defector uh, woman type mm -hmm. uh, Chinese Communist Party official has written. But I haven't s – they, they, was, they said they were going to publish it late last week, but I, I didn't see it be published. Uh, first of all, let's talk about – there's two supposedly two high-level defectors. and Well, she's not a defector. She got locked out of uh, – she couldn't leave because of COVID. Um, and, uh, and then she decided to start bad-mouthing China. And so um, let's talk about her. First of all, what's her name? How do you say her name? Well, I don't know her. I don't recall her name, but I know I know what you're, who you're talking about, you know, because I've followed her. Um, and she's she's like a as in, much an insider as they come. Uh, was a, a professor at their sort of party school or something like that, where all of the bigwigs get taught. And um, she's a contemporary of Xi, Jing, Xi Jinping, I think. And she's you know as you said, she started criticizing the Chinese. Communist Party um, while she was overseas. And I don't know if she meant it like sort of uh, one of these like emails that isn't supposed to get out. Right. Uh, but somehow her criticisms got public and she's probably not going to go back to China anytime <laughs> soon. But she she really lays into them, um, you know, and they're sort of the, the shortcomings, of course, and um, is an entirely unflattering in her depictions of it. And this would, you know, I don't know what our equivalent would be uh, because we, you know, there are principled academics, you know, I can name a few, but um, by and large, it's hard to imagine a, like a, some Ivy league professor, you know, saying, look, you guys are all fools. Um, but um, so it was really, it's quite something, but it, you know, you, you never quite know how far this is going to go. Right. You know, her criticism, if it'll just be forgotten, you know, eventually, because there's, you know, there were a lot of uh, some plugged in Russians who used to do something, like things similar. How do you say uh, her name? C her name is, is written C-A-I-X-I-A. How do you say that? Kaisha. Oh, you know, I'm sure I'm Kaisha. way off. You know, I don't do it. You know, I'm pretty she sure. I'm, I'm is, she is X-I. She's X-I-A. How would you say that? I would try Shah if it was me, but so they, this isn't my my area. Got it, got it, got it. Phonics. Is, I always think it is, but it isn't. <laughs> Asian gets a lot of people in trouble. Asian phonics not your specialty. All right. But Chinese is not Chinese. The, uh, right. the others it's, I can do. The others are kind of like Spanish, but this is. Can you read Japanese? This is not. Uh, yeah, you know, the, just don't ask me how well. Okay. But yeah, it's funny. I can read. You know it. Um, you know, I can pick up a newspaper and, you know, it's worth reading. Got it. Um, Got but, it. but I don't read enough. What to, did I mean, you think of? More. Well, we're learning that. It's, it's actually it's stunning, I have to tell you. Um, she says a few things. I want to get your reaction to it. Quote, the Chinese Communist Party has the ambition of a hungry dragon, but inside it is a paper tiger. 
She also says there's deep divisions inside of China and that the United States should be prepared, quote, prepared for the possible sudden disintegration of the party. She said that um, many elites around the nation, quote, accept and approve of the American democratic system and freedom as universal values. Um, so, and, and then the other thing she said, which got a lot of press, was U.S. policymakers have miscalculated at every turn from restoring relations after Beijing's 1989 crackdown in Tiananmen Square to backing China's entry into the World Trade Organization, NIVET, that has emboldened the regime. While U.S. administrations have described China as a competitor, the Communist Party has always viewed the U.S. as a hostile ad- adversary, she argues. Um, um, interesting stuff, interesting stuff that you don't see from somebody that, you know, lived in the rarefied era that she lived in, in China. Oh, you're, you're right. You know, it is funny, of course, she says that U.S. policymakers screwed it up big time for 40 years and uh, you won't see any hands going up uh, on that. But she's right. You know, it's it's hilarious to hear her saying it. And then it's she's funny that she makes fun of the, the Yankees for calling the, the Chinese competitors when, you know, they uh, when every other word out of the Chinese you know leadership's mouth is, you know, we hate you people. We're going to kill you. Uh, you know, it, it, so it's really it's funny to hear this in a way. But, you know, you, I think what you'll find is that it's probably going to get uh, ignored by our sort of elite classes. And you know, everyone will just agree that nobody could have figured all this stuff out. And, well, everybody was wrong. Uh, but the, that's not true. But she does mention the divisions in the Chinese party and the Chinese party and China. And all true. You know, you have Northerners who hate the Southerners. Um, you know, Xi Jinping's trying to make um, uh, Cantonese go extinct, actually, which is the people around the Chinese around Hong Kong. That's southern China. Um, and, uh, you know, but that's like, like any group of people, you, it's riven by factions and, you know, hatreds, etc. You know, even in the Marine Corps, you know, it always seemed like everyone hated each other at a certain level. I'm sort of half joking, but it's human, we, no, human nature. We do. And, um, yeah. and, uh, it's human nature and they've got, so that's all true. And the, but you do keep in mind that the, you know, in Nazi Germany, they had just as many factions and rivalries, uh, and economic problems, etc. But it, you know, took some god awful suffering to get, you know, that system out of the out of the out of the way. Um, also, just that many elites accept U.S. values. That's probably kind of true, but does it really matter when you've got some really ruthless guys at the top willing to, you know, imprison, kill, and take the organs out of living prisoners? Uh, so I, you know. I, it was nice to hear it, but I'm not sure that it gets across how this uh, fragile, the, correctly gets across how fragile the regime is or isn't. And, and as long as, you know, Wall Street's pouring in 200, 300 billion dollars a year into China, convertible currency, that that papers over a lot of problems and uh, that would otherwise would sort of be cracks that might bring the, the regime down. And, and we're not exactly doing our, our best on the the propaganda front either. So, uh, so it was, it was interesting to hear. I think she's correct. I, where I would maybe differ is the, the sort of the, the, the fragility of the, the Chinese state, but, but, you know, who am I to argue with you know, someone from her background, etc. but All I right. would have a, a different perspective. All right. 
but certainly uh, certainly interesting and breaks squelch. Now, let me oh, read you oh, some. Yeah. Let me read you some more headlines. Mm-hmm. Um, this is from the Times of India, not not a paper that I normally quote, but I wanted to quote something outside of, you know, the American sphere of reporting and whatnot. Headline. Chinese top official defected to the U.S. gave Biden administration info about the Wuhan lab, a report suggests. Uh, Subheadline, Chinese Vice Minister of State Security Dong Jingwei reportedly defected to the United States and gave the information about the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is at the center of the coronavirus lab leak hypothesis. According to a report in Spy Talk, I don't even know what the hell that is, but um, Chinese language, anti-communist media and Twitter are abuzz with rumors that Dong fled to the U.S. via Hong Kong with his daughter, Dong Yang, in mid-February. Um, Spy Talk is a newsletter covering U.S. intelligence, defense and foreign policy on the Substack platform. So... Um, now, next headline. This is Washington Times. So this is a right-leaning newspaper. Uh, questions swirl over rumors of high-level Chinese defector possible disinformation campaign. Uh, and then who is this dude that they're talking about? Dong Jingwei, uh, a Chinese politician who has served as, a, the, as vice minister of the Ministry of State Security, previously served as the agency's chief of counterintelligence, Okay, so I'm not sure how much everybody knows about espionage. The last person that you need, right, to defect is your chief of counterintelligence, okay? In June of 2021, reports incorrectly alleged his defection to the United States. But by the end of the month, Dong was photographed in his official capacity taking part in deliberations of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Now, he's the only one writing that, and that is just the hunt, or this is the only, Wikipedia is the only source writing that. So, not really sure if this is all true. What do you make of it, Grant? Um, I've followed it, you know, from the beginning, at least, you know, the the newspaper accounts, and my guess is that something happened. Uh, Whether it's this guy or not, I don't know. Um, the and why I say this is that the guys I guys I know who really do know China like really well and you know they you know they, they've sort of watched the Chinese response to this you know what the how they've reacted what they've said and you know they're all in Chinese they and they that's sort of their conclusion is something happened uh, and given the sort of the sort of the confused. Uh, response. Well, okay, from so the, wait the a minute. Side. So wait a minute. You guys are. I mean, I, I'm not going to say how much money you make, but you know, Grant's extremely wealthy, right? And all his tunned up friends. And what all you guys can come up with is something happened. My well, my idiot friends that do this for free could say that. Come on, Grant. What the hell? Well, well, because you know, how often is it that you know we get some story like this and it turns out to be the the specifics turn out to be wrong. Uh, you know, you always have to step back a bit and see. But here's what I think happened is I think somebody did go and it was somebody important. Uh, and but I don't think the Americans have him. Uh, if he's oh. smart, he wouldn't have come to let turn himself over to the CIA because some of those Chinese moles that they haven't squeezed out of the system would make short work of him. Well, uh, the Tim Lynch. So, 
Tim Lynch, who appears, who comes on every Thursday, he told yeah. me, he said, I think mm-hmm. on the air, he said he would not speak to either the FBI or the CIA, according to Tim's reading. He would only speak to uh, the defense people at the specific people at the Defense Intelligence Agency. How about that for interesting? <laughs> it is. You know, it's hard to imagine DIA, but, the, yeah. but it, I, when I, I wasn't joking about, you know, not turning myself over to the CIA. So I don't think the Americans have him. I think some other intelligence service uh, has him would be my guess. And exactly who it is, I don't know. But um, that picture that you, you was mentioned of uh, Dong appearing at some event, apparently it's an old picture. Oh. And there hasn't been any current sort of, you know, pictures of him. Um, and there's also been on the Chinese side, There's they've been sort of um, publicizing these stories from, you know, histori- history where like entire, and their point is that entire families get punished when somebody does something <laughs> wrong. And to say, if you look at these things, and if you put them in a context, that it does indeed suggest something happened. And, you know, and as I said, you always have to wait and see. And the best defectors are one that nobody knows. They've, you know, knows that they've, they've gone. Uh, and the one thing that seems strange about this, the story, if you read the first thing as well, he, he left from Hong Kong. Uh, either to go visit his daughter or with his daughter. Now, how often in that system does, a, say, a spy or intelligence guy of that prominence just get on a plane in Hong Kong and go to America to visit his sister? Uh, it, you know, th- that you know, could happen, but it just sounds odd. So there are things about the initial report that, that don't make sense, you know, that you know, getting on the plane in Hong Kong, you know, getting to America and biding his time and then calling DIA. Uh, you know, it, what do you do? Call up the, the operator or, you know, maybe you'd met somebody before who gave him a number and said, you know, if you're ever interested, give me a call, something. Yes. But yes. then again, how often do DIA guys come across people like that? You know, it, it's just, it's, you know, they might, the, the point is that this, the details always turn out to be different. And that's what, you know, good and good spy work is, you know, that it always comes as a, what really happened. But is you and your sources don't have any more information for me. Oh, no. What? Goodness. Jesus. <laughs> it, what uh, the hell, do, as what as the hell do I pay you for? The, um, oh, that's right. Yeah. I don't pay well, you. I thought I did pretty well with, um, <laughs> you know, the, the something happened. The, uh, and that, that bit about families getting killed. Well, well uh, no, that's you know, all low. About that that's all the, low, uh, right? You have to fruit. read it carefully. All right. That. All right. I just had somebody who listens to the program um, with no other, like, information in the email. And it's a very cryptic email address. Send me the Hoover Institute piece on China. And, it, yeah, I will forward it to you. Evidently, it's classified right now by the Hoover Institution. Uh, Hoover some Institute. soccer, China- soccer fan. He doesn't want anyone to know that they like soccer. Exactly. But no, that's, uh, China-U.S. relations in the eyes of, of the Chinese Communist Party, an insider's perspective by Kai Ji. Uh, there you have it. So how about that? It's good, it's, it's good stuff, and it is, it's really worth a look. Have you read you, it? You, I've sort of read the – I've gone through it, you know, skimmed it, 
the way I read most stuff. And I've said oh. been following her from the very beginning when she first uh, appeared. And it's and Hoover's is a good place. Right, you know, right, right, right. Much of it is. And um, they've done a, done a service putting this out because this is good inside information. And you just have to read it. You know, just realize she has a perspective and may not see some things that are pretty obvious you know, from when you're looking at it, say, as an American from outside. And, you know, they these people do sometimes tend to overstate, I think, the the actual fragility uh, of these uh, regimes. Well, let's, but, uh, let's talk about that. But that's it. China's yeah. got a birth problem, and they also are going to have the same problem that everybody else on the planet has, in that as your culture becomes more affluent, as they're allowed more, as they communicate more, and if you, as you allow kind of that freedom, which is lightning held in a jar, um, it gets more and more problematic to try to continue to be a totalitarian regime. Um, so can you, um, I can't remember, I saw some commentary about, um, about this issue, about China is not as rock solid as everybody wants to believe. That their aging population, and she made one of the comments she made, and somebody was amplifying on on this uh, in her um, in her um, in the quotes that that she gave out in in preparation for the publication of her article. Um, they talked about uh, China's demographic problem, and um, so can you wax eloquent on that, and or not? So eloquent, but could you wax on it, and we'll judge your eloquence. The um, and how severe a picture is that? I mean, it's certainly, you know, I mean, people look at the United States, you know, and I mean, I think it's quite stunning for young people in the country to realize that the the nation was not conceived in its original form, you know, without sin. It's stunning. Like what? Like how could we have ever done this? You know. So his, you know. It's amazing, honestly, Grant, when you listen to the shit people say. It's almost I like, do. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you not understand history? Do you not understand that until about 1850, you know, it was, you know, it was acceptable around the world to own people of dark skin? And, and the first nations that, quote unquote, outlawed slavery didn't actually outlaw slavery. They outlawed the slave trade. If they were already your property, you could keep that. But, you know, footnoted history is a, is a little bit tedious, a little bit cumbersome, and it complicates a lot of simplistic arguments. So, I'm not sure if you're aware of all that, but if you weren't, you know, welcome to the United States. Um, give us a little bit of, you know, your sense of how, how fragile is this demographic problem that you know, that China has. And, you know, if you were a betting man, is young China going to be that much different than old China was? So, yeah. Well, maybe over a couple hundred years. But, you know, I don't, you know, unfortunately, I'm pretty worried. Um, You know, the, Uh, yes, they have a demographic problem, but those things take a while to play out, like decades before you even notice the the differences. Plus, you can make up for the sort of the lost people with productivity. 
you know, just automate, automate things. So it isn't, you know, it's like every, it isn't like the whole place becomes like a retirement home in South Florida. <laughs> uh, you know, and there are still young people, you know, keep in mind that they already have 30, they've got like 30 million, you know, fighting age young men with no chance of uh, ever getting married. Um, that gives you something to play with, you know, for the immediate future. Um, the, the economic part of it, I think, is where they are particularly vulnerable. But as we've, we've talked about many times, as long as the, the U.S., the West and Japan keep funding the place, it's going to, you know, it is going to be able to be a big, scary uh, country with a military that's getting better and better and has more stuff than we do. Uh, and with only one purpose, and that's to destroy us and dominate the rest of the world. So, uh, yes, they have all these internal sort of frictions and and uh, fractures, but does that mean it's just going to sort of come apart? Not as long as America keeps bolster bolstering it. And, you know, you talk about this great Chinese success story, how they've gone from nothing in 40 years to this place with all these shiny skyscrapers. Well, without U.S., Western, and Japanese funding, they wouldn't be anywhere near where they are. They may not even exist if, you know, after uh, Tiananmen Square, George uh, Bush had gotten down on his knees and did whatever he did to Deng Xiaoping. Whoa, uh, whoa. Hey. It, uh, it, that, it's that bad. You know, read that letter he wrote to the Chinese dictator after Tiananmen Square, and you'll realize why we're in the mess we're in today. And then all these things that the, the lady mentioned um, you know, it, it, these are things that have propped up the one country on earth that wants to kill us. Well, the few that want to, but that actually could do it. So I don't, you know, and, and as I say, you look back at these other nasty regimes, and I'll use 1930s Germany, um, that they had all these problems, you know, that you could think of, you know, the, the factionalism, the the violence in the system, there was a lot of opposition, an, an economy that was incredibly inefficient. Uh, in financial trouble and, you know, it's um, facing, you know, too many enemies or too many countries that could, if they joined together, could stop them. And yet somehow, you know, they continued. And, you know, as I said, you know, it takes a lot of heartache to get rid of this kind of regime. I wish it would just disappear or change into something better. But, you know, it's a country that's run by the equivalent of a, say, a mafia gang. And have you ever heard of a mafia gang willingly saying, yeah, okay, yeah, our day's over, let's, you know, let, let's, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's just, just let's pack it in, boys, it's uh, and, but, clearly. But the, one, but the one thing that does give me, you know, that, that I think is, does, should give us some uh, encouragement is if you think about what's going on with the Chinese, is that for decades now, the, the most successful Chinese have all been trying to get their money out of China into some place like America or Britain, Australia, Canada, and to get their money away from the Chinese Communist Party. And these are the top of the Chinese Communist Party. And it goes well, down the, to the where speculation you... is about that dude, Deng. The speculation is that, you know, with the Chinese, the Chinese loyalty test being given, that somehow or other, he got the heebie-jeebies about his time and how much of it he would still spend in China and that there were other people that were angling for him. And so uh, he said, yeah, I got to go. Um, and so interesting, right? Uh, interesting stuff. Uh, 
um, and that that's what was the motive behind, um, you know, him getting the hell out of there. So I, I, I found that to be moderately interesting. Um, but in those regimes, you have that happens. You know, it's not unusual. You know, Rudy Hess flies over to Scotland. Rudy um, Hess. You know, nice. <laughs> yeah, if you remember him. Um, and the Russians. For those of you who don't, who think that like Rudy Hess, like some modern day defector, Rudolf Hess, yeah, is who he's talking about. It's a world. Yeah. It's a World War Two event. If you don't know who he is, you should buy a history book every once in a while. You do your homework, yeah. Yeah, but, exactly. No, but these sorts of regimes, is, see, there's always this jockeying for the top. And there's, you know, people who will, like, really hurt the other, hurt their rivals if they can. Uh, so there's always these people, so the, these regimes sort of shed people. Uh, like Leon Trotsky, have, I hope I haven't gone too far back in time. But, <laughs> Whoa. Uh, you know, a nasty guy, uh, but he ended up in Mexico and eventually got an ice pick in the head. But the... Uh, this is from the talk about the Russian Revolution. In case I need to to mention, this. well, I mean I those those are Russian. You, those are Russian delicate techniques. The ice pick in the head and shit yeah. like that. Yeah, little yeah, uranium but, in your in your clam chowder, shit like that. Yeah, but the the point is that you know these people do leave these regimes, people of importance, etc. But it doesn't cause the regime to collapse. It's embarrassing, and it would give a, a reasonably competent intelligence service and sort of propaganda arm of a, a government, you know, if we had had them, um, some pr- lot of stuff to work with. Uh, but I say it doesn't mean the regime's going to go under. But as, as I was get, talking about, uh, the, the fact that every the most successful Chinese are trying to get out of the country or get their money out and get a, res- get a relative out with a green card somewhere uh, suggests that, say, that there's a lot of uncertainty about the future of the system. And that's something we should be working on um, instead of funding the darn funding the thing. And you know, but uh, will we do it? I don't know. You know, because it is possible they could reach such a just such a point of you know where they're so have so much oomph or so much power that, that they've got a certain momentum that just keeps them going, whereas otherwise they would have collapsed. You know, but you know, so uh, I'm not sure how this is going to play out but i hear all those things about why it's you know it's doomed to failure etc and i'm not quite buying it just yet and the demographic thing doesn't uh, persuade me you know unless you're going to look out a couple centuries uh, that's just my take uh, it's going to probably collapse next week so. <laughs> <laughs> well that's good because we'll play this back and we'll have a certainly all have a good laugh about it no i mean i no i think you're right i it, to me what's interesting about what's going on in the world today is you're seeing and again um i think you could describe it as you know normally we describe things as uh, this is grant's term by the way cautiously pessimistic which is my favorite one of my favorite terms um and but I mean I think there's grounds for for cautious optimism relative to the Western world, you know, kind of waking up and taking more um, uh, aggressive stance with China. I mean, you're seeing things that we heretofore have not seen, which is, you know, French naval vessels in in the Western Pacific. You know, the Brits with the Marine F-35s on board are headed in that direction. And so I think, I mean, the first thing you do is you make statements. The second thing you do is you actually, you know, have the beginning stages of activity. And I think that's what this is. So to me, that's, that's, 
you know, three steps down the road. One is the realization we have a problem. Two is a public statement. And then three actually is, is military things that happen, and that's years in the making. And so to me, I'm cautiously optimistic that even if you slow the rate of China's expanse down, I think that does great harm to them. Um, and I think, again, I think the British decision, you know, relative to Huawei was absolutely huge in all of this. I think it was a bit of a stunner when it happened, um, but uh, I think it was uh, it was absolutely critical to it. So I'm cautiously optimistic that the world, you know, the question is, you know, is it too late? I don't think it is. And I think that it, if the truth about China probably lies somewhere in, in between, yeah. And so, um, so we'll see what happens. So, you know, let's see. You know, keep in mind the the British. It's like their equivalent of the Minister of Finance said uh, just the other day that, well, now that we're out of Brexit, now that we're out of the EU, we've got to really get close to China. <laughs> uh, I'm not making this up. So okay. that's you know, for all these things we do, we do something else. That yeah. that's the 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 opposite. You know, the, Amer- the Americans allowed that IPO to take place the other day of right. the. The Chinese Uber, so there's four and a half billion dollars straight into the Chinese Communist Party. What do you make of the Chinese um, SEC? Kind of, I mean, that stock is trading. This is on. This is your financial moment here on a uh, on a Tuesday morning edition of Almond Radio. But uh, um, this stock is down twenty two percent. You know, so if you think it's ultimately going to win, you know, buy quality on weakness. All right. So there's there's your financial oh, tip oh, of the day. What do you make well, of the, the Chinese SEC, you know, talking about we're concerned about the way they collect data, blah, 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 blah. What is that about? It has absolutely nothing to do with how a, fin- a financial system or market would be run. This is just pure, it's Sopranos sort of stuff. You know, and they must be laughing, you know, on the floor, laughing their backsides off at right. us. You know, here we let them do this IPO. A country, a company which does not meet the listing requirements uh, for the United States, it just doesn't. Uh, you know, no U.S. company could have gotten listed, you know, doing uh, really what uh, this uh, this Chinese company did. Uh, but we let them get listed. We let them collect this money uh, and convertible currency once again. And if you figure out um, sort of the purchasing power, like how far four and a half billion gets you in China, you know, this would be like the probably the equivalent of 20 billion in the U.S. It's a lot of money. And you use that to buy you know, these companies overseas with good technology that let you build up your military, your economy, etc. So we're dumb enough to do that. So they, they collected their money. And then like within, within a couple of days, they uh, leaned on the the Chinese government leaned on the company, trying kind of to put them out of business and or bring them bring them to heel at least, and telling the foreigners and the Americans, you know, go go f yourselves. Uh, it's you watch this and, and you. One of the more interesting things is that on the U.S. side, you don't see any of the the masters of the universe these financial elite types saying this is outrageous, but they all just stay quiet while the Chinese do their thing. And that's because they've all made a nice, had a nice payday the other day. Uh, so I look at this and you just wonder how on earth we can prevail if we allow this stuff to go on. And, it, you know, you, so I, you know, probably should start learning Chinese better so I can speak to our new masters. Um, yes, yeah, so if we keep this up, 
uh, it doesn't look good for the future. But it's, it's you know, we do one thing that looks good, and then we do let this sort of thing happen, uh, and then throw in the defense, U.S. defense budget, and it's pretty clear that this administration doesn't take defense seriously. Uh, we've got a navy that doesn't have enough ships or enough of the right weapons. Uh, so, you know, there. I'm it, uh, not sure how this is all going to play out. But that financial thing the other day, the, the IPO, that uh, was just the latest outrage. That yeah, no, I thought our, the, our, I thought the funniest part RSC, was... RSEC has allowed, allowed to happen. Right. I thought the funniest part was the Chinese SEC um, <laughs> getting involved in it. And I, I, I laughed, literally, like, what the hell is this? Um, uh, talk to me about Afghanistan, and then we'll talk about what you're writing. Uh, and then I'll <laughs> let you go. Um, you know, uh, much hand-wringing and consternation that Afghanistan, you know, may go away much faster than anybody, um, anybody thought. Um, I'm curious... Um, um, your thoughts. I mean, you, you're a former Intel guy. You watch the, this kind of stuff. Uh, my friends, who, whose opinions I trust, they say, "Hey, look, you know, this, the uh, the thing will hold together as long as somebody's paying money, right? Deals will get made, money will get exchange hands, people will participate, and the only fighting that you will see take place are it's, it is essentially a chamber of commerce disagreement. They're fighting over money. They're not fighting over you know the Afghan way of life or anything close to that." Nobody's going to die for Afghanistan. You know, the only thing that people are going to die for is somebody's power and somebody's, which is, you know, take it to read access to money. So I'm curious. So that's what my friends think. Um, I'm curious what you think. Um, This thing that will play out very publicly, there will be much, much hand-wringing and consternation as the women of Afghanistan uh, get put back into a place that, uh, that I'm sure they don't want to go. But it is it is the way that they do things in that part of the world. Afghanistan has been an anomaly with a you know sizable American presence. So, uh, what do you think? Where's Afghanistan going? Oh, nowhere good. It's, right. it's going back to what Afghanistan, sort of back to what Afghanistan's always been. But that isn't quite right. You know, if you remember it back in the the seventies. Uh, it was, you know, it was Afghanistan, but it was like an okay place to go. And my hippie brother, you know, managed to get there overland from Europe. And, um, you know, so it, it hasn't always been a, a hellhole. It was really was once the, the Afghan Marxists took over and the Russians went in that it and then everything started from there. But uh, I think it, it's not going anywhere good. And when these, you know, the, the Taliban, such as they are, this um, when they you know, well, you can you explain? Can you will. explain that you, when you say such as they are? Because people, you know, that, that read the news, they say, you know, the Taliban, and they think it's some kind of, you know, monolithic, very, you know, structured, you know, opposition group. And and as you say, such as they are. Could you explain when you say such as they are? Well, that's what I was getting at. What you just said. It's almost oh, Afghanistan is like a collection of families, uh, and that's kind of how it is. And there's no interest in central rules, central government, but it's families that sometimes cooperate for some purpose. And it can, it's generally on a, a very, very local level. Um, and so that when you say the Taliban, um, this is just some families. It just happens to be, a, you know, uh, they've got a sort of critical mass. 
uh, to take over the place. But the but don't ever think of it as a, a country or sort of like ours. And everyone knows this. Um, but think of collection of families that if you took a, a, a neighborhood and there was, say, 15 different families and they sometimes they liked each other, sometimes they got along and then they sometimes they didn't. Uh, and that's a pretty simple way to look at it, but it's, I think, closer to the, the truth. Um, but you can see what's coming. You know, once, you know, once we, you know, well, I guess we have pulled out, um, there's not going to be anything to stand up to, to these Taliban. The, the, um, you know, I'm not even sure what the Tajiks are going to be able to do uh, with them. And the poor Hazaras are going to learn once again that you don't trust the Americans for things. Uh, and so this is just going to, it's going to be a pretty bad. And the thing is that beyond the, the immediate problems in, in Afghanistan, it, nothing good happens when the U.S. looks weak and confused. And this is the result of 20 years of failure. Uh, trillions of dollars, you had a military, our military had all the resources it needed, our ruling class, military ruling class had all the resources, all the money. Uh, they had all the public support and all the congressional support they needed to uh, conduct a successful campaign. Uh, so I would suggest um, end of tour awards and upward promotions for all of these geniuses. Um, but but the, you're going to see this play out, I think, in a sort of some dangerous ways because the U.S. Uh, as I say, when it looks like it couldn't, it looks like it failed. You see our enemies uh, take advantage of it, right. and that's the the Russians, the the Chinese, the Iranians, and any others I've forgotten. And you saw this, remember, after Saigon fell that, oh, you know, what's the big deal? It's just Saigon, you know, it has, or just South Vietnam have to, you know, we have to bite the bullet and let it go. And yet this led to, it invigorated our enemies and led to all sorts of other problems elsewhere. So I think that our enemies are going to look at this and they're going to say, well, this is our moment, this is our moment. So I'm very, very worried on that front. But in terms of, you know, this, this Afghan business, um, it, uh, I'm, well, as I said, I'd like to see somebody in our military's ruling class just say, you know, we didn't get this right. Instead of it, you know, it's um, I look at it as a failure in all around, not on the part of the troops or the younger officers, right. but at that military's ruling class that has an obligation to win its wars. And I'd like to see one person do say what Stillwell, General Stillwell, did when he uh, sort of escaped from Burma. In 1942, he said, this is humiliating as hell. I propose we find out what happened and go back and take the place. Um, and I'm not saying we should go back and take Afghanistan, but I do say it is humiliating as hell and we should find out what happened. Uh, instead, we're kind of like the Army of Northern Virginia Veterans Association about 1885 talking about how they whooped them Yankees at Fredericksburg and yeah, and, yeah well, who, who won the yeah. war. Right. And I say I don't see the introspection or any, or any interest in figuring out what happened and making sure it doesn't happen again. Well, let me this tell you, where the, again, that takes you to a very, very uncomfortable place, Grant, because where it takes you is, is to understand that what we promote in the American military is high-end conformism. That's high-function conformist is what we promote. And, and we don't have enough guys who will, who will tell the truth. 
right? Who will well, tell the well, truth. And if you look at this woke dance that we're doing, you know, it's it's uh, it's embarrassing. And 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 again, every everybody believes, right? I mean, we've you know, we've spent our lives, you know, those of us that, you know, I'm 63, right? So <clears throat> If you we grew up in an, in in in, an, in the United States where there was systematic racism, right? It was called Jim Crow, right? Forced busing, the integration of schools, and all of that. We've seen that, and and you know we grew up in it. We watched Dr. King when we were kids, and uh, and that's the nation that we were born into, and. To me, when you see the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Admiral Gilday in particular, other than the chairman, you know, and, and trying to defend what's undefendable. Why is this book on a reading list? There, don't you think there are other? Um, or, or why don't you recommend a book by Shelby Steele, right, who's a conservative, you know, black writer, Put them together and say, hey, we recommend reading these two books and let's have a great discussion, right? It, there is no mature dialogue about it. It is just a, it is this, again, this, this flavor of the day that sweeps the nation and the Department of Defense. And it's that high. And you haven't seen anybody push back except a squadron commander in the Air Force, right, who wrote a piece, got relieved, went on, and now the Air Force is doing an investigation. Now, he'll never get his job back, you know, but probably somebody else will get that general will, will, will be relieved. And I'll say, you know what? He has the First Amendment right. He was critical of a policy. There's no reason he should have been relieved, you know. And so but what paves the way for those policies, what paved the way for what happened in Iraq and what paved the way for what happened in Afghanistan is high end conformism. And, and it, to me, it's particularly disgusting in light of, you know, what we all knew happened in Vietnam was essentially the same thing, where people did not tell the truth. You know, the chairman, the, the Joint Chiefs had, you know, what is it? What was it, General Johnson, who made the famous statement, I have to go to my grave, knowing that thousands of young American boys died in a war that we should not have fought, and I was in a position to make a difference, and I did not. Um, those are pretty ominous words to take to your grave. And yet that's what we did in Iraq and Afghanistan. The expansion of the war in Afghanistan, wrong. The war period in Iraq, wrong. But we only had a handful of people that would stand up and tell the truth. And I, and to me, you know, what you're asking is what absolutely will not happen because you don't see that kind of moral courage anymore. You just don't. It's sad. It's sad. It, it, seems well hidden I, I we've talked about it before i think but i think the afghan business i um you know i think we did have better prospects than the results are showing had we done it a certain way uh, but it is you know you look at it and who who uh was relieved for not producing uh who who got their end of tour legion of merit and upward promotion like everybody uh you know we should have won that war 20 times you know, over the last 20 years, it's um, you'd think looking at that. So it is uh, it can be very disheartening, uh, actually. And, you know, I you know, depend on what time of day you ask me, it can be kind of infuriating. In fact, you know, I, I was asked this must have been around 2010. A Marine general asked me to how to keep the Taliban from resurging. And I, you know, pointed out they already had 
researched. And uh, but I you know wrote him up some stuff and some ideas, and then I just said, look, leave it up to the captains and the majors, and things will take care of themselves. And I wasn't joking, you know, it, in a certain sense, is because we had plenty of people who understood what was going on, what needed done. But you'd see this at the the top levels, and well, who is it that you know that uh, pointed out that we weren't gonna weren't gonna win? And it's you know the military ruling class isn't entirely responsible for it because there's civilian leadership as well. Uh, but at the same time, this ought to be just a huge embarrassment to us. And say there's a ruling class level, not at the the lower levels where people did their duty. But but my goodness, you know, it um, you, you, this is pretty bad. You know, you you watched them let Bin Laden escape from Tora Bora at the beginning, and that. Uh, that was a tragedy. And then Anaconda takes place and you just kind of wonder, you know, my goodness, um, the, uh, what, what are we doing? You know, they should have listened to Assad Khan uh, instead of firing him. But, um, you know, I don't know what's how, uh, it's hard to, it's one of the, some things just leave you speechless. And, um, I don't know how this is going to play out, but our enemies have noticed this, uh, and I think that we're going to see the, the results play out elsewhere. That'd be my guess. The all right, one more question for you. Um, but again, I mean, look at the. I don't know if you watched the hearings relative to the Navy, but oh my God, Grant, it's painful. <laughs> I mean, I and again, actually, it's painful. Yeah. It's painful yeah. in a big way because shipbuilding numbers are big numbers, and when you fuck it up, right? When you fuck it up, and then it's like, what do you do? What do you say? Right. And and now, um, there, in fact, it's, I think it's really interesting. There's a retired Navy. I think she rose to the rank of captain. Her name is Luria. She represents mm-hmm. she represents Norfolk Naval Academy grad, nuclear engineering girl, double major at the Naval Academy in engineering and something in history and a minor in French. Okay, she spent her entire career at sea. I mean, nobody does that. And I mean, she is as sharp as a tack. And she, one of the questions she, her statement questions she asked was, when will we eventually see a payoff of this? Because it's one of the things we tend not to see. We always hear about divest to invest. And then we never see, we never see, you know, the invest part of this pay off. You know, will this be any different? And then she started going down historical, you know, um, shipbuilding things in the last 20 years. And you just sat there and you went, good God. Good God, you know, you know, we never can build it on time. We can never build it for what we forecast to build it. We say we need six, we get three. And it is the legacy. I mean, the Navy, it's painful to watch that, you know, and I'm not even a member of the United States Navy, for God's sakes. But um, I don't know, Grant. Now now I'm more pessimistic than, than I was. Let's talk about what you're writing. You sent me a video you appeared in. Tell everybody what that's about. Mm-hmm. I'll, put, I'll put the link oh, in, uh, in this okay. thing if they want to watch you. No, I was asked to make a few sort of short videos of um, like some whatever some event in Asia that I think is interesting. And so I, I did. And it's, um, you know, the podcast talking head thing with some uh, nice pictures here and there. But, you know, you're trying to tell a story like I do when I write, but saying it in sort of words and sort of visual stuff. And uh, so I think I did write. Yeah, I did. The last one was about uh, that. The chief of staff, uh, General Milley's um, comments about 
the Chinese not being able to attack Taiwan uh, that he testified in the Senate. So I was commenting on that, and I think he's wrong. Um, but, you know, it's sort of interesting to do a, a video thing, but it's actually as, as hard as writing because you have to know, you actually have to know what you're going to say, not just wing it. Uh, but if, so that's the, that's that. Yeah, maybe I'll do some more of these. It's, um, it just takes a little time, but, uh, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, what am I writing now? It's, um, I have to focus on something. I think the Chinese economic power and um, how it, feeds into their military power and is going to be one of the other things that pushes us out of Asia if we're not careful. And they, but try to put it into some language that uh, people will sort of find easy to understand or better said that I will find oh, easy to understand. Oh, that the rubes yeah. among us can, can, well, that, you can know, decode? Well, I read like I think. So if it looks read simple, that's you know, <laughs> kind of reflects what's going on up upstairs ah there you go there you go the uh well said all right well grant first of all um interesting conversation today uh thoroughly enjoyed it uh let me tell you I, my own my own opinion is afghanistan is going to be very painful for the american people uh to watch and uh and in particular right you're going to see you know video of, of of the social changes that will come there which will strike a chord here in the united states and then you're going to see, see people look at general officers and say, what happened? What happened there? And well, we whooped I, them Yankees. Well, exactly. And, exactly. We went on a fool's errand, right, for 17 of the 20 years we were there. We should have done yep. what we needed to do and left. And oddly enough, we didn't do what we needed to, to do because we were all going to do it with special forces and, you know, CIA agents on horseback and all this cool shit. Meanwhile, you know, the guy, the, the one guy we're looking to kill gets away, right? So we fail in that mission. And then, uh, and then we decide that we're going to turn, you know, Afghanistan into a, some kind of representative government democracy. And it's just like, you got to be shitting me. So anyway, um, on that positive note, Grant, um, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much for doing this. I appreciate it. Sure. Mm-hmm. Anytime. Okay. All right. Here. There you have it. That is uh, Grant Newsham, the one and only, here on a spectacular Tuesday for All Marine Radio. That's right. The studio moved into the garage today. And everything worked. Absolute. You know what? It's not so much a miracle as it is a tribute to my technological expertise. Yeah, boom. How about that? Seriously, though, come on. So if you're just tuning in, I uh, tell you a little bit of a story of uh, how I moved my entire studio. I had two studios, one in a bedroom, uh, which is kind of where I do the podcast every day. You know, and now that I'm here in my video studio, why wouldn't I live stream All Marine Radio on uh, YouTube and then put it up on YouTube? How about that? Grant could be on YouTube. Anyway, everybody loves YouTube. So um, I might do that. We'll see. Um, so I've got to get, i got to do some work on my studio. I've got a, some other stuff I have going today. So on that note, I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio. Thanks for listening today and making All Marine Radio part of your day. Um, yeah, post-traumatic winning now 
international. Well, it was international because it was it was into Canada. Now it's spread to Australia. Yeah. Hashtag legit. Okay. So anyway, um, if I can you help, if I can help you help somebody, let me know. Be more than happy to. Um, on a Tuesday, that'll do it. Have a great one. This program repeats itself momentarily. So whatever you do, don't touch that dial. I'm out.